will never fail us ever in the future. It's your name I pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Here, I got my umbrella. It might rain, and they don't make churches like they used to. So, got my umbrella. Oh, maybe. Here we go. Got some. Just in case it rains, I want to be under it too. We have to be safe from the rain, right? Oh, look at this young lady right here. How are you doing? Pretty good. I think I'll just stay the remainder of the sermon just right here, protecting you from the rain. Yeah, it might rain. It might rain, and I want to be prepared because if it rains, eventually the roof is going to leak. And so it will probably leak right here, so I'm just going to hold this umbrella. I know it's sun shining outside, but you never know when that cloud's going to roll right through and it's going to rain on you, right? Right? So might as well just walk around with an umbrella. Any, if, did anybody else bring their umbrella with them? If not, we've supplied some umbrellas in the lobby. You can go out and you can, you can get them from the lobby if you want to. Yeah, I, I know. I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but it might rain. And so I'm just ready. I know there's a roof up here, but I'm, I'm ready just in case it rains. And if it rains, at least it'll roll off the umbrella and it'll be here on the floor. Okay? So just turn to your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I think it's Mark chapter 6. No, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 34. And this is what it says. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I'm holding an umbrella just in case. I'm anxious for what might happen, but probably won't because the sun shines out. Umbrella. Yeah, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You know, one of the things about the Bible is it's always truthful and it says there will be trouble, right? But I think that we spend a lot of time worrying about things that will never happen to us. I think we spend a lot of time with our umbrellas up Afraid that something might happen to us. Come on, church. Afraid that it might happen. And we spend a lot of energy with the stuff that might happen rather than the stuff that is happening. And it says in this passage of scripture that tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Every day has its difficulties. Every day has its problems. There's a book called um, Making a Difference by uh, Steve Gillian, and he puts it to you this way. Don't worry. Don't put your umbrella up until it rains. Don't worry. Don't put your umbrella up 
until it rains. In other words, don't worry about the problem. Just deal with the problems that are right in front of you. The problems that are right in front of you, you deal with those, and that's what you do. You deal with those problems. Um, Friday night, my family went to see an outdoor movie. It was Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, there are more fans in this service than there was in the other service. The other service was like, what? Kong? Didn't, I don't know if they knew the movie was out or if they just didn't like it, but Kong versus Godzilla. And they're playing it at the Marketplace Theater in town outside, so it's an outdoor event. Well, we were there, and there was lightning all around us. A storm was all around us. I kept looking at my phone just to see where the storm was, and it was south of where we were. And so it was south of where we were, and it kind of ran what I would call going around us, okay? It seemed to go around us. If we act, now please just hang with me, just hang with me on this. If we had acted like most people in our culture, what we would have done at that moment is started the car and went home to safety. And we would have missed the movie. Not that the movie is a big deal. Not that I can't live without seeing Kong versus Godzilla. Trust me, you already knew the plot before it started. You knew where it was going to end. That's not why you're watching the movie. You want to see the monster. That's what you want to see when you go see a movie like that. Trust me, there's not a depth of plot going on in God, you know, that, that little deal. Not at all. But it was, a, it was an enjoyment. It was a part of living. And I would have missed out, and my family would have missed out on life if we had just responded to the sheet lightning that was all around us. We weren't even in danger and just went home because of the potential problem that might or might not would have occurred with us staying there and watching the movie. Are you tracking with me? We had spent an awful a lot of energy trying to prevent something from happening in our life are running to safety, running to safety from things that we don't even need to be running from. A whole awful lot of energy. I might put it to you this way. Some people miss out on living because they prepare for a problem that never occurs. They never, it never occurs. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 14 says this, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Be what? Joyful. And then it says, in the day of adversity, consider. It doesn't say run and hide. It doesn't say don't approach the problem. It doesn't say to ignore the problem. It doesn't say anything like that. It says consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Have you ever just stopped a moment and considered that a problem that comes to you on a given day is so that you won't really think about tomorrow? So that you won't know what's coming up tomorrow? That there's enough trouble in one day so that you don't waste your time worrying about what might happen on Monday, what might happen on Tuesday, what might happen on Wednesday, because God wants you focused on this day? God will send issues into your life. He'll send problems that you have to deal with so that you will live in the now and not in the worries of tomorrow. 
Have you ever considered that? Ecclesiastes says, no, I'm not there. Ecclesiastes says, in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In other words, what's going to happen to you tomorrow is a mystery. What's going to happen to you next week is a mystery. I'll tell you another thing that's a mystery. Your day of death is a mystery to you. It's in an appointed time, according to scripture. There's a point in time to be born, a point in time to die. But ladies and gentlemen, that day is a mystery. I don't know when mine's gonna be. I don't know when yours is gonna be. I have a theory about it, a general theory. I think my wife is gonna go before I do. She's already falling apart, you know, right? She wakes up with the little back issues. I don't, I just hop right up out of bed. That hasn't hit me yet. Those issues are not what I have to deal with. I have to deal with hers. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I didn't mean it that way. I did, I did not, that did not come out right. Yeah, that did not come out right. And that didn't happen in the first service. So sorry about that. But she, she's probably gonna go before I am. But I really don't know that. I could, I could wake up tomorrow and see Jesus. She could wake up tomorrow and see Jesus. We don't, we don't know. And so God wants us focused on today because ladies and gentlemen, today, today is a gift. Today is a gift and you live right now and you face whatever it is right now, head on. Now, this is a two-part sermon. We're gonna do the second part next week. It's called 119. We are going to get to Psalm chapter 119. We did a Bible study on it last summer, but this is just the introduction to get us to next week. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk about problems today and give you some, some kind of concepts. Some are random, some are, some are more focused, but nonetheless, I wanna talk to you about problems and how we should approach problems today. And then next week, we're gonna get into Psalm 119 and continue the second part of the sermon. So, a couple of things about problems. Here we go. Sometimes we create our own problems. <laughs> right? Sometimes we're stupid. And we do things that are stupid. And we create our own problems. So, a problem in a, in a given day might just be because you... <laughs> did something stupid, did something ornery, did something that, that um, you regret doing. You said something, you did something, whatever. You, sometimes we create our own problems. So in line with that, here's the next one. Sometimes the problem is because you're cranky. Don't you want to t say that to some people in your family? Just take a picture of that and send it to them in a text. Oh, that, that was good. Okay, I know you, oh, I get it. You're sitting beside them. That's why you didn't laugh. Got it, got it, intuitive. Okay, sometimes the problem is because you're cranky. You wake up in the morning and for some reason you feel like you've got to attack somebody. So you attack everybody in your path. You're not, you're not, you're not, um, you're not calm, you're not loving, you're just upset, you don't know why you're upset. My, my wife, and I, I have permission, just don't get uncomfortable. I have permission to say the stories I'm telling you, trust me. Trust me, I have the permission to say this. So when we were early in our marriage, my wife would often wake up and be mad at me because she dreamed that I did something to her in her dream and she would wake up mad at me. Amen. Right? And he'd have to deal with that all day, right? 
Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Nicole doesn't do that. But it, when we were first married, man, I don't know what I was doing in her dreams, but I had no control over it, right? Sometimes we just wake up cranky. And we, to solve the problem, we have to get over our crankiness. If there's no reason for you to get cranky, suck it up, buttercup. Put the crankiness out of your, out of your life and try to get some type of positive vibe going on. That is what you have to do. Next, sometimes the problem is just you. Everyone else has moved on. There are some people that just like to sit in the problem. They just like stir it up. While everybody else is over here just living their life. The people that stay, when we, let me put it this way, when we, because we've all done this, when we hang on to the problem and we just want the problem to continue, because that's really what we're doing if we don't let it go. Everybody else is living their life. They're already over it. And, and we just have to, again, suck it up, buttercup, get over ourselves, and move on with the rest of the group. There are some problems that just aren't worth keeping going on. In fact, I would say all of them are that way. Sometimes people make a problem permanent and they work hard to keep it permanent. Yeah. Problems are not permanent. Problems are not permanent. If there is a problem that you cannot solve, that is called a reality. That's called a reality. For instance, a reality is Paul in scripture had a thorn in the flesh. It was something he couldn't do anything about. It was an issue he had, but it, was a, it wasn't a problem. It was a reality. Did he pray that God would take that thorn from him? Absolutely. Did he pray that God would change that reality? Absolutely, he did that. And that's what you do in a reality that you can't do anything about. In an environment, you can't do anything about what's going on around you. You don't have the power to solve that. That is called a reality. A problem is something that you can solve, something you can do about. The issue that we have with problems is this. We often make problems permanent. We often make problems um, something that, that uh, is, is just going to be with us the rest of our life. And oftentimes, lost my train of thought there. And that's a problem. It's not permanent though. I'm going to solve this. Oh, I get it. Oftentimes we make a problem permanent or last longer because we run from the problem. See, sometimes people run from problems to escape them. So there's an issue over here. And instead of meeting the problem head on, solving the problem, doing what it takes to solve the problem, and that's a whole message within itself, they run from it. And they run over here to try to escape the problem. But what they find is the problem follows them here. Now, if you're not a believer in the room, this is not for you, what I'm about to say. But if you're a believer in the room, this is for you. God 
puts problems in your life so that you will grow in your faith. God puts issues in your life so that you will grow in your faith. And if God has allowed you to have an issue right here, something that you're supposed to have the tenacity to solve, he expects you to stay right there and solve it. If you run, you will not be able to outrun that problem. That problem is gonna follow you here because God wants you to deal with it. There is something in your life that needs to change. There is something in your life that needs to become more like Christ. And that problem will follow you here and God will make you deal with it. And if you run from it here and go over here, guess what that problem is gonna do? That problem is gonna follow you because you cannot outrun God. You can't outrun God. So that issue, he is saying that you can solve that problem. You can get through that problem. You have the power to do so. The best way to escape a problem is to solve it. The best way to escape a problem is to solve it. If you run from it, it's going to be there. If you ignore it, it's still going to be there. If you run from it, it's still going to be there. If you try to make it like something that's never happened in your past, it is still going to be there. The best way to solve, to escape your problem, is to solve it. Hmm, interesting. So, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. By the way, I've decided to no longer stop and help people on the side of the road. Like if they have a flat tire or something, just not stop. Not even pull down my window anymore and say, hey, do you need some help? Do you need some, me to help you? I've decided to quit doing that. Do you want to know why? They should have bought the extended warranty. <laughs> the call has happened every single day. You had your chance. You had that person that you could call. So, hey, God's tried to tell you something. <laughs> I had that thought the other day. There was a guy I pulled over on the side of the road, and I did roll down my window, and I was like, what am I doing? He's been called about an extended warranty for his car. <laughs> God was trying to tell him this was going to happen. Prepare it for it. Okay, all right, that's enough. <clears throat> First Samuel chapter 17 is a, is a familiar story, especially to believers, David and Goliath. And um, Goliath has come down and he's challenged the armies of God, right? And he does it over and over and over again. And actually at the point that we're going to read today, he has done it 40 times, all right? And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24, it says this, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. They fled from him and were much afraid. They fled to safety and were much afraid. 
this is people that are chosen of God. These are people that should have faith in God. These are people where God has said that he is on their side. And this guy, Goliath, comes out to the middle of the field and everybody, the whole army goes and they flee and they hide. So I would submit to you that yes, Goliath was a problem, okay? But I will also submit to you today that the army of God was a problem. They were, in my estimate, a bigger problem than Goliath. They were supposed to be lights of the world, people of faith, people that stood up against adversity, people that was like, okay, God has placed this before us. He's defying the armies of the living God. He cannot do that. Who's going out there? And there should have been a contest. Maybe the reason that there wasn't a contest, I mean, I'll give these guys, maybe Saul's daughter was ugly. You know, she was offered as a reward. Maybe she was, oh, come on, that's good. Maybe they're like, no, not her. Not that one. Right? But no, these guys were afraid. It says that they were afraid. And And so they're afraid and so what does David do? He starts talking about it. He says, what, who is this guy? Why are y'all intense? I bet David was there. He was like out, you know, talking to people. This guy comes down. David's watching it. The guy makes this challenge and he turns around and is like, where did, where did everybody go? Where did everybody go? And he's just standing on the hillside listening to them. See, nobody's there. So all these guys ran and they hid. So he started talking about it. Who's going to stand before this guy? I mean, somebody needs to go, somebody needs to meet this problem head on. And he had the tenacity to talk about it. He not only had the tenacity to talk about it, David was willing to do something about it. All right? So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 31, it says this, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock. And I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And he arose against me and I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Let's just pause there a moment and just say, David's a man. I mean, how how many of you would like to go up against a lion and pull him down with your bare hands by his beard? Do I have any, anybody in the room, right? Um. I heard a comedian one time say, um, he, he started this way. He said, uh, do you know how easy it is to get a tiger in this country? Does anybody know how easy? Um, no, this is me. Do you, does anybody know how easy it is? You can actually have a tiger and take it back to your home in a matter of hours. Isn't that astounding? You can have a tiger. Let me submit to you this morning, if they do take our guns, let's just go get tigers. 
They never miss. <laughs> okay, anyway, back to this. Back to this. Okay, so, so here's this guy, and he's saying, I'm going to go. So he did this little, you know, I did this line in the bear. So verse 27, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of maul. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go. You can underline that. He tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. <clears throat> and David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. That phrase, he tried in vain to go. I thought about that a little bit and what actually that meant. Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. He was a tall dude. He was taller than David. It seems that David was a shorter, stout man. Maybe 5'10", maybe, I don't know. He was shorter than everybody else. And so David comes into Saul's armor, in Saul, Saul's um, throne room, his little tent there. And he says, I'm gonna battle this guy. And Saul says, okay, so this is how we solve a problem if you're in the military, we armor up. So I'm gonna let you use my armor. So he, he brings out this armor that is way too big for David to use. David already knew this. David was the armor bearer of the king before this happened. Did you know that? I mean, historically, the way this times out, he was already his armor bearer, armor bearer at times, and he also sang for him. So that was already happening. So uh, David already knew, but because he respected his king, he put on this armor. And when he put it on, he couldn't move. The reason he couldn't move, he tried in vain to move, he couldn't move, is because, I, I don't know how this really works, but let's say that there was something that protected your legs. Well, his, you know, Saul's knee probably came up to here. So that thing's right here. So you're trying to move and you couldn't push it down because then you'd be on stilts. Is, is everybody, is everybody, right? And so, and so David's trying to move around and he says, oh my God, I cannot do this. I can't even see the helmets over my head because obviously Saul's head is bigger. There you go, yeah. Saul's head is bigger, so I can't even see, I can't even move. I mean, the shield is my size. That he, I, I, there's no way that I can wear this armor. David was more than likely the smallest person on the property. The shortest person on the property. So he takes this off and he says, I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to get these stones and I'm going to get this sling and I'm going to go. David, who is the smallest person on the property, was the strongest person on the property. In fact, I would submit to you that he was the biggest person on the property that day. Everybody else, including the king, was smaller than him. Proverbs chapter 12, 24 verse 10 says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is what? The person that should have been out there on the field, if nobody else would go, is King Saul. 
See, the best leaders in the world are the ones that are out front. Have you ever seen that movie, Braveheart? Yeah, and he's riding a horse, and he's getting them to go. You know, he turns that horse around, and he leads his army into battle. Now, do they overtake him? Absolutely, but he's the first one to go. He leads. See, a leader can't shout from behind and say, charge. See, when you have a, a large army like that, and you, you can't really hear. I mean, the people up front obviously can hear the speech, and the people behind are just there ready to go, right? If you shout from behind and people in the back start moving first, what happens to the people in the front? They get trampled on. And that's the same way in leadership. You don't shout from behind, charge. You shout, charge, and go forward. And Saul should have been big enough to go out there and face Goliath, and God would have given him the victory. But instead, he cowered in his tent in safety, in fear, and failed to live. A paraphrase puts that verse like this. If you fell, fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. So David was the biggest person on campus at that moment because he said, this problem is not bigger than me. This problem isn't bigger than me. And even if it was, it is not bigger than my God. And if you are a Christian, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, there isn't a problem that will come your way that is bigger than you. And it will not come your way that is bigger than God to handle. I mean, I'm willing to argue and, and talk about whether a problem's bigger for you to handle or not, but I am not willing to argue if God is bigger than your problem. If it's put in, your, in front of you, God has already given you the power to conquer it and get through it and solve it. And you need to do that. Why in the world do Christians run in fear why do they not go forward and face their problems head on? Why do we allow problems to be bigger than us? There is not a problem that is bigger than you. There's not a problem that's bigger than you. It was put there for you to deal with so that you can become more like Christ, so that you can conquer it and go on. But if you make that problem bigger than you, it's gonna control you. It's gonna control your decisions. It's gonna control everything you do. It's gonna affect your relationships. It's gonna affect everything in your life and it's gonna control you. And ladies and gentlemen, I am not going to allow a problem to control me. I have a God to do that. And he's earned the right to control me and empower me with whatever he places in front of me to deal with. Amen? We need to face problems head on. So, turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite areas of scripture. 1 Kings chapter 19, actually verse 18, 19, and so on. Um, I, like, I like to kind of slow down when I'm reading my Bible and spend some time here because it is so rich in, in what it can say to us. But 
1 Kings chapter 19. Now, Elijah has just defeated the prophets of Baal. And in um, chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So she threatens him. And she, has the, she has the power, honestly, to follow through on this threat. She has the power to send an army and, and, and do what she has said she is going to do. And so verse three says, then he was, say it. He was what? Mm-hmm. And he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. First of all, Jezebel is a problem that he, she's not really a problem, she's a reality. I mean, she's in office, God put her there. God's gonna take her out eventually, but that's just a reality. She created a problem by saying, I'm gonna kill you and I'm gonna kill you tomorrow. And Elijah was like, oh my goodness, I need to run to safety. I need to run outside of her reach. And so he ran, he ran for safety. Don't miss that. He ran for safety. There was a human that said she had the ability to take his life and he ran for safety. Are you tracking? He ran for safety. I believe that if Elijah had stayed in the vicinity of Jezebel, he would have been just as safe as he was when he ran. Come on. He would have been just as safe as he ran. Now hold on to that if you're still thinking about that. Well, maybe not. Wouldn't he be playing with fire? Well, he just played with fire. It was on a mountain. Okay. Just, just putting it in perspective. So verses four through eight says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Elijah is running from an, a problem that he anticipates going, that is going to happen that's not going to happen. Did you get that? He thinks it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen. So he runs to safety and he runs for 40 days and he camps out in this mountain, uh, in, in this cave, right? And that is when God begins to talk to him and, and Elijah and, and God have this, have this conversation. And in this passage, 
in verse 15, it says this, while he's in the mountain after 40 days, that he has been saved for 40 days. Verse 15 says this, and the Lord said to him, go return. Let's just stop there. What did the Lord say? Go return. Go return where? To where Jezebel is. Elijah would have just been just as safe if he had stayed in the area as he would have been when he was running. Colling Walker, do you know Colling Walker? You know Colling Walker. You know Colling Walker? Colling Walker? Yeah, lady, about this high. Yep. She walked 20,000 steps yesterday. 20? How many of you walked 20,000 steps yesterday? Yeah, right. That's a lot, that's, that's a lot of steps. Do you know last Sunday between 9.30 and 12 o'clock, I walked 3,200 steps? That's mind-blowing. I think it has to do with my arms. My arms are moving and maybe it's counting steps as I go, but 3,200, that's a lot of steps. Elijah put a lot of energy in going towards safety. He put a lot of energy in running from an issue. He put a lot of energy in fear. He put a lot of energy in worry. He put a lot of energy in anxiety. And here at the moment, God speaks to him. He says, go and return because you've wasted your energy. All that energy that it took for you to run faithless in a different direction should have been redirected to faith and you should have stood by faith with me. Return. I'm not done with you yet and you're not gonna be killed until I'm done with you. And ladies and gentlemen, God is not gonna take you home until he's done with you. There is an appointed time for you to be born and an appointed time for you to die and you are not going to miss either one of those dates. And you can try your best to, but you're not going to miss them. And I don't know when mine is. Do you remember that um, Ecclesiastes passage that we had up earlier? that said, God doesn't want you to know, it's a mystery when I'm gonna die. I believe that Nicole's gonna die before me. She's gonna, oh, come on, she's gonna go before me, right? She's already, already falling apart. There's stuff already happening to her. She's shaking her head because she, she wants a dog. See, she wants me to go first so that she can have a dog. That's, that's why she wants me to go first. But God isn't going to do that. He's reversing that from, anyway, okay. He's going to do that. But to be honest with you, Nicole doesn't know if I'm going to go first, and I don't know if Nicole's going to go first, because we do not know the point in time that we are going to pass away, right? And man, we spend a lot of energy trying to protect ourselves. Protect ourselves with stuff that, isn't going to happen or isn't as bad when it does happen or we don't even know if it's going to come our way. It's a storm that's just coming around us and it might not even park in our vicinity because it might not, it, maybe it's not supposed to be a part of our story. Do we really have the audacity to think that if God wants something in our life that we can prevent it from happening? Do we as believers really think that we have that power? I do not have that power. You do not have that power to prevent it from happening. If God wants it a part of your story, it's going to happen. That problem is going to be there. So Elijah is told to return. I submit to you this morning that 
the problem is rarely the problem. Your ability to handle the problem correctly is generally the real problem that you have. If you run from the problem, you're not handling it correctly. If you go at the problem without wisdom, you're not handling it correctly. But your ability to say that I am bigger than what is in front of me and I can make it through this because God is with me and he's never left me. Your ability to do that means that you'll be able to solve whatever problem, whatever test, whatever issue comes your way. You will get through it. Amen? Yeah. I wrote this down yesterday. Don't allow fear to use the strength that should be going toward your faith. Don't allow fear to use the strength that should be going toward your faith. Don't waste your time on fear. Don't waste your time on running. Don't waste your time on, on all this stuff. Put your energy toward faith. Faith in God that he is with you and he will see you through. So just repeat after me, and this is a prayer to God, all right? This is something that we're saying to God. Just repeat this after me. You can do all things. Okay, now say it like you mean it. You can do all things. You can do all things, Lord. You've never lost a battle. And you never will. Let's say that one more time. You can do all things. You can do all things, Lord. You've never lost a battle. And you never will. The amazing thing about God is this. He's with us, number one. But number two, when we're in an issue and we feel like we're losing... We're actually winning. I know that the culture has a different definition of that, okay? So just part that over here because that has nothing to do with God. It has to do with humanity and they shouldn't give out participation trophies to people. They just participated. They just need to go home, okay? We need winners and we need losers. There's lessons in both of those. Okay, we're parking that for a different message. But over here, If you are approaching a problem and you are losing something, God is saying that isn't supposed to be in your life anyway. And so you're winning. If you feel like you are losing the problem, you're losing the issue, the reason God has that in your life is because there is something that needs to be cut from you. There's something that needs to be taken from you. And you are actually winning when you're losing, when you are on God's side. God never loses a battle. He never has and he never will. God never loses. And if he has placed something in front of you, you might lose it all, but you're actually winning. Might put it to you this way. We need to live with the consideration that anything that we have here on this earth, you can have and we can lose. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I don't need anything else. Just give me Jesus. And satisfied with that relationship and satisfied with the fact that he's with us. And any problem that we have is easier to deal with because if we lose, we still win. Because God has never lost a battle 
and he's given us the strength to endure that particular issue. Isn't that great? It's great. So approach problems, don't run from them. And with that said, that leads us right up to where the second half of this sermon actually starts. And we're going to do that next week. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stage you've given us. Oh Lord, we're thankful for the example of, of David and his faith. And actually, though we used Elijah as an example of running in fear, he is also an example of faith. The way he stood on the mountain, the way that he approached those prophets of Baal, the way that he prayed to you and the way that the fire came down is an amazing feat of faith. Thank you for their examples. Thank you for the honesty of your scriptures, Father, to show us that even the strongest people of faith had, had weak moments where they ran from issues and they ran to safety and they ran away from you and they expended a lot of energy doing that. We're thankful for those because, Father, we want to live our lives in such a way that we put all our energy toward faith and all our energy towards you. And so help us to understand clearly what realities are and help us to understand clearly what problems are. And with the realities, we just live in those. There's nothing really we can do about those. And that's fine. You're in control. But the issues that you place in our life, Father, help us to have the strength that we need to face those issues and problems head on. The last thing that any of us want in this room is for a problem to become our God. What a horrible way to live. We desire for you to be central and the God that we serve. You are the one true God that always looks out for what's best for us. And we trust in that. So whatever issues people are dealing with in this room, I pray, Father, that they will be strengthened from this message to face those issues head on. So I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you deal with each heart as you have spoke to them today and continue to push everyone in this room toward you to be more like your son. So we ask all these things, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm here to pray with you if you need it. There's an altar up here for you to pray if you need that or if you just need to take some time with God where you're sitting. Let's stand and sing this closing song as we go into this invitation time.